Welcome to the Christian Classical Corner with Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church and the Good Shepherd School Project, where we discuss Christian classical education as a way forward for educating God's children. Greetings, friends in Christ. My name is Margaret Douglas, and I am the headmistress of the Good Shepherd School Project at Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church. Let's talk some classical education. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. The Collect for the Current Week Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, as we live among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Welcome again, brothers and sisters, to the Christian Classical Corner, the place where we focus on how Christian classical education can be our discipling tool for raising up godly children in the way of the Lord. Now, the prayer that I prayed today, as usual, it's the collected prayer for the congregation that was read this week at Sunday service. It's also found in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, like all the prayers that I use on this program, and it's available to you online for your personal devotions. Just go to bcp2019.anglicanchurch.net. That's bcp 2019 dot A-N-G-L-I-C-A-N-C-H-U-R-C-H dot N-E-T. I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, that prayer really spoke to me when I heard it this past Sunday, and I felt there was a real word in it for me, and I wanted to share that for you. And this, this was confirmed when it had a real word for me in traffic this morning as I was anxious to get here through some terrible backups, and the Spirit whispered to me and said, Remember that prayer that you've been praying all week. Do not be anxious. This is passing away. And of course, we know that. That's right from Scripture, right? So, let's think about the things that are passing away. We can see that from the whole scope of history, that most of what we deal with on a day-to-day basis in our lives are in that category. They're passing away. And yet, we're called, friends in Christ, to cling to the things that endure. It's like it says in Psalm 52, verse 1, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. And in Psalm 100, verse 5, we read, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And that's the other thing that we can see from the whole history of mankind. We can see that God is good all the time and across generations. And we have the responsibility not just to learn that ourselves and to cling to that, cling to the things that endure, but also to teach them to our children, beginning with history. I mean, history is a very naturally primary topic for Christian classical education and educators. Last week, of course, we talked with Deacon Aaron from Jesus the Good Shepherd, and we talked about the saints as examples of Christian witness and our own Christian history. The church at rest comes from every corner of the globe, every walk of life, every set of talents, every tribe, 
people, nation, and language, as we see in the Revelation. Anyone who needs an example in the saints, they can find one. And though, and I think we mentioned this last week, we certainly don't worship saints or put them above our scriptures in any way. It does mean that we have in them these examples that they set in how to follow Jesus better. And the brilliant thing is we have those examples across history. No matter what was going on in the world at large, no matter what kind of circumstances cropped up, no matter what kind of resources or technologies they had or didn't have, we can see the peoples of God across the ages preaching the good news, sharing the gospel, and living out the Christian life. See, the people of God have been called to do that even when the times are tough and conditions are really adverse. This is why classical education is so big on history in general. We sort of use it as the linchpin to everything else that we do. We're in the process in classical education of searching through the great people, the great events that lead us to the great ideas. And to be frank, even some of the not-so-great ideas. I mean, one of the things that we can see more clearly through the study and lens of history is where humanity has been walking closer to God and where we haven't. Or, as the great Anglican C.S. Lewis put it in his famed work, Mere Christianity, and out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. The long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. Yeah, we got to look at all of that. The bad examples as well as the good. Because, as our prayer this morning said, we're looking for the things that shall endure. We study all of history to see how mankind searched for the enduring things. We study saints to see how it was when mankind, by the grace of God, got it right. But we need to understand the worlds that they lived in and that they walked in, and how, by God's grace, they persevered. And then, whatever we find in our own lives, in our own day, in our own troubles, we have examples of our forebearers to help guide us. And yes, of course, our first history book is and ought to be the Bible. And our second should be the traditions of the very early church who walked through some of the greatest adversities and wrestled with some of the biggest questions of the faith. Questions that still endure today. There's that word again, endure. So, we want to look at this holy tradition as well as history in general. And, you know, I've learned so much more about the fathers of the church and the early church by examining the saints and their walk with God. <clears throat> I'm constantly learning, as we all should be, right? You know, it's that modeling we've talked about before. Just recently, I did a symposium with a Lutheran rhetoric teacher whom my son had recently studied with, and I finally got around to reading his book. And this is a book that's called Of Rhetoric and Redemption in La Rioja. It's biblical... Um, based historical fiction. Dr. Jim Talman is the author. Really great guy. It's set in 68 AD, and it's about Paul, St. Paul's trip to Spain. 
Now I can hear some of you who know your, old, your New Testament really well saying, now Paul didn't go to Spain, he just talked about it. And he did right there at the end of Romans 15, right? When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. Now that's the scriptural reference. That's what was recorded by St. Paul. But you know, history is not just about what the apostles wrote about themselves. I mean, it turns out not quite 30 years later, St. Clement of Alexandria wrote about St. Paul's being in Spain. And there's early tradition from our Eastern Orthodox brethren that there were saints baptized by Paul in Spain who later returned to Greece. So there's actually a bunch of other witness to the fact that, yeah, before his life was ended by the Emperor Nero in Rome, St. Paul probably did make it to Spain. Now, why do I even go into this? Well, St. Paul's life in the early church and what he was doing and where he was going and how he taught and to whom he taught and where people carried it next, it all makes more sense to us in the context of the history of the day. And if we're going to know our own tradition, we need to be great students of history in general. And that's what's so cool about learning history and learning holy tradition together is, and why we do both in Christian classical education. You know, one of the big things that we like to do in Christian classical ed is hand down the traditions of our roots. I've talked about that word before, right? Tradition comes from the Latin word tradere. <laughs> and I have to tell you, every time I type that word into my word processing program, it wants to change it to trader, T-R-A-D-E-R. Funnily enough, that comes from the same root. But tradere is the Latin verb that means to hand over. We hand over our culture, our history, our beliefs and ideas. We hand them over to our children, to the next generation, so that we can give our children their past, so that they're anchored in something. And this is universal, right? I mean, every land, every culture, they have their traditions. They have what they want to pass on to the next generation. Interestingly enough, recently, some of my memories popped up on my phone, as they do. And a couple years ago, I had taken a picture of a sign from back when we lived in the United Arab Emirates. And it was a quote from Sheikh Zayed, who, he was kind of a George Washington in the Emirates. He was the sheikh who united them all into one country 50 years ago. Very important man in that society. The quote was this. Our ancestors left us a legacy of traditions we are proud of. Our mission is to maintain and develop them as assets of the nation for future generations. Now think about that. A legacy of traditions that are good, a mission to maintain and develop for the future. Isn't that how it works in all cultures? In all countries? In all families even? I mean, if, if we were to rewrite this as Christians, as the Christian family, we might say, our beloved saints and martyrs left us traditions that we rejoice in as the things that endure. Our mission is to maintain and develop them as assets of the church universal for future generations. 
And there's a glorious tradition that has made us who we are today. And we hand over that tradition to the children of the next generation so that they will know their roots. We see this in the Bible. Psalm 145 tells us, beginning at verse 4, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty I will meditate. They shall speak the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. And a little later on in the same psalm at verse 11, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, and tell of your power to make known to the children of men your mighty deeds, and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. There we see that word endures again. We know that what truly endures comes from the Lord. But I tell you, you wouldn't know that listening to modern scholars. Modernity is absolutely fixated on the latest, the greatest, the newest, and the shiniest. And there's very little of that that endures. Have you ever heard of planned obsolescence? Yet, believe it or not, that's a thing. It's where manufacturers, particularly of technology, like computer programs and apps and that sort of thing, but it can come in hardware too, they actually program it to stop working so that we have to buy new ones. If it sometimes feels to you like nothing lasts, that's because nothing lasts. It's actually designed not to last. They are designed to be the things passing away. That's not the way the designer of the universe works. He wants us to cling to that which endures. And we can't know what truly endures, right? Unless we have the whole sense of what has gone on before us. Remember how on this program, we've talked before about the power of stories. How they not only teach us on the level of our minds, but how they also reach in and grab our hearts. That's the way they inculcate our culture in us. They're actually one of the influences that really ground us, really give us roots. Well, history is just that. Story. In fact, it's his story, and we need to learn it. The good, the bad, and the ugly, and the beautiful of it. And from there, we begin to find our roots. We begin to see ourselves not just as the temporal, momentary figures that we are, but understand ourselves in light of a bigger story in history. And we've talked about the importance of roots here at the corner before, right? I mean, how societies that aren't grounded in anything will eventually find themselves flailing, I mean, getting back to our example that we had before with St. Paul in first century Rome, that was sort of their problem then, wasn't it? I mean, Rome was starting to leave behind her roots and it was beginning to crumble. Greece had had the same problem right after the Golden Age when the Sophists were taking over, leaving behind her roots. She weakened and was ripe to be overtaken by Rome. I modern example, I was recently listening to author Ayan Hersiali. She was a Somalian who immigrated to Europe and then eventually has come to us here in the U.S. But she was talking about this in light of recent spats of terrorist violence in Europe and the U.K. 
Western culture has lost its roots. We don't teach it as a good thing. We pretend that all it did was evil, and nothing that endures has come of it. Well, immigrants aren't going to want to assimilate to such a culture. Hence, we get violence. Example after example after example. This can happen in all societies. It can happen in the church. And so it's important for us to study the history and understand what's happened so that we don't make the same mistakes. And after all, we see rather constant mistakes, both in biblical history and in history in general. What happens when people are walking away from the commandments of God? And friends, that never ends well. J.I. Packer talks about this in his Keeping the Ten Commandments. He writes, So God's commandments are in truth cement for society. It is clear that where these values are acknowledged, communities, our own for instance, in the past, hold together, even in this fallen world. But in proportion as these values are negated, society falls apart. This can be learned both from the paganized world of injustice and revolution that was the northern kingdom of Israel, trace its sad story in 1 Kings 12 through 2 Kings 17 and the prophecies of Amos and Hosea, and also from the revolutions and counter-revolutions that rack the world today. So studying history gives us this sense of where God's commandments were being followed and where they weren't. Just as importantly, studying history gives us a sense of God's order. We understand from the very beginnings of Scripture that no matter how chaotic life might seem, God has created it in His own order. He has ordered everything in His own way, in His own time. Sometimes when we're stuck in the very narrow enclaves of our own little worlds, that's hard to see. But history can actually help us in two important ways. First, history has its own order. I mean, seeing things on a timeline helps us to envision things better. When we see how a new idea or a new revelation begins to influence things, we can see the order, or sometimes the disorder, that logically followed that course. We can see the great ideas as they've spanned time and space and how they've played off each other and how great thinkers in a particular time may have moved the world forward or how disordered thinkers may have caused the world harm. Sometimes at the same time, which is why I keep quoting writers from the 1940s on this program. At that very dark time, when there were some terrible, terrible things happening, there were also some great minds who trusted God, and who allowed many people to see a path forward. We get a sense of order from the studying of history. And just an aside, this is why history should be studied in order. Oh, this crazy method that a lot of schools have had for decades. In this, you know, they'll study the medievals one year, and then, oh, next year, let's do the Egyptians. And then maybe in the following year, we'll teach kids American history. Stop! That is no way to study an ordered subject. I mean, nobody would teach calculus before arithmetic, right? Nobody would teach chemistry equations before basic elements. Yet they seem to have no qualms whatsoever about teaching history out of order and in a horribly fractured way. 
no one gets a real sense of the order of history if you don't actually teach it in order. Even with biblical history, you need to know your Old Testament roots and order before the New Testament really makes sense. God did all things in an order. He revealed them to those who set them to paper in an order. We ought to read them in an order. And from doing so, then we get the whole narrative arc of salvation from Scripture, not just disjointed Bible stories. Same too with the world's history. And again, that's his story too, just from a different angle. And of course, it's not spirit breathed as Holy Writ is, but that doesn't mean that it has nothing to teach us. But it's not going to teach us its lessons if we insist on learning them in a disjointed, unordered way. Yeah, history must be taught in an order. And now some people say, well, really, we ought to teach it backwards, from the present to the ancients, each time answering the question of, why did that happen? With the answer, well, because before that, this happened. Others say, begin at the beginning, work your way forward, learning each new idea as it came in sequence. I tend to fall in the latter camp myself, but I don't think that it's totally a hard and fast rule, but ordering history is, and that's why we do it that way in Christian classical education. Just an aside, one of the classes I'm teaching for our upper school right now is a course on the history of science, and I have to say, I find it way easier to begin at the beginning. It just seems much more natural, and it's more fascinating to see how ideas opened up before people like flowers and how we discovered the God-designed intric... Yeah, I can't even say that word this morning. God-designed order that the, wor the world that we know today. God is good all the time and throughout time. And that's the other thing that learning history really teaches, the enormity of the whole thing and our relative smallness in it. I mean, I guess the other reason that I'm not as keen on the idea of learning history backwards from today to the past, because once again, it all starts with us. Like we're not narcissistic enough in our culture. <laughs> I often wonder too, if, if that's not why studying history as a discipline in college has dropped off tremendously in recent years. And besides the inevitable cry of, what are you going to do with a history degree? There's also this problem of history constantly showing us how insignificant we are in the larger scheme of things. And in the modern world, that's a problem because personal significance seems to be what schools are teaching for. In the Christian world, it's not so much a problem. We already know that basic premise years ago, summarized for me in a joke. There is one God, you ain't him. But when we're bombarded by the world's stories, the world's values, the world's disorder. It can help us to see the bigger picture, and history is a really big picture. Getting lost in the great ideas helps us to make ourselves small in that big picture, and to put us in a better frame of mind of understanding the Father and His plans over the world's constant noise and narcissism. narcissism. That's why when Jesus the Good Shepherd Anglican Church discerned that we were being called into educational ministry, we moved toward a classical model immediately. It's centered in the same kind of order as biblical teaching to fully enculturate children. It's not looking at the short-term, fly-by-night, popular-today, jettison-tomorrow sorts of fads that plague modern education. 
It looks to the things that endure and it hands them over to our children. That's why even in these early days before we're ready to open a full-time school, we have the Homeschool Partnership Program. The Good Shepherd School Project's Homeschool Partnership Program is designed to bring students who might not have been homeschooled before into a Christian classically structured program so that they can get out of the unordered chaos of modernity that the public schools have on offer and learn in ordered ways that will bring them closer to God. This is what a classical history-based curriculum is designed to do. If you know someone who would love to get their children out of the public schools and educate classically, but maybe they work or they have other barriers, please let them know we can help. Know of homeschoolers here in the Valley who are looking for more depth to their program or who are looking for something with a more classical angle? We can help with that too. Please check us out at goodshepherdhenderson.info. That's G-O-O-D-S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D-H-E-N-D-E-R-S-O-N dot I-N-F-O. Our All Saints term has just begun, but it's still not too late. The registration form is still live on our website. So please check it out and pass it on. GoodShepherdHenderson.info And if you'd like to know more about our church or support our work, find Good Shepherd, Jesus the Good Shepherd at VegasAnglican.org. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Have a great week, and God bless. Thanks so much for joining us at the Christian Classical Corner. It's been a pleasure, and we hope that it's been a blessing for you. Want to learn more? Find out more about our school project at goodshepherdhenderson.info and more about our church, where you can support our ministry at vegasanglican.org. Thank you so much. Be blessed. And we'll see you next week, Friday, 8.30 a.m., for more talk on Christian Classical Education.